May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Before I begin, I want to acknowledge what a joy it is for me to be in the presence of all of you, but especially the presence of your good rector, the Reverend Dr. Joan Bielstein, who has been a friend of mine for many years and one of the finest and strongest clergy of the Diocese of Washington, whose ministry here is a joy to behold. And so I wonder if you wouldn't mind giving, giving uh, expression And what a team of leaders she has gathered around her and how, um, how blessed we are by, by all of them. Um, at the Diocese Diocesan Convention last week, I gave to everyone present um, faith sharing cards. Um, and they are simply cards that have questions on them that are meant to stimulate conversations of, a, of an intentionally religious or spiritual nature. Um, which you'd think would be easy for church people to do, but every once in a while, it, our tongues get all tied up and we wind up asking ourselves questions like, so, how about them gnats or whoever? <laughs> Who's going to win the game tonight? So last week I was, um, not that there's anything wrong with that, by the way, um, and who is going to win the game tonight? Something like that. I'm from Minnesota, so it's kind of a sore subject, but uh, <laughs> anyway. So a few nights ago, I was gathered with a group of lay leaders from a different region in the diocese. They were all the senior and junior wardens of their congregations. They didn't know each other very well, if at all. And um, our goal that night was to see how we might um, become better friends and also be more aware of what's going on in each congregation and how we might support each other. That was the agenda. So I pulled out these cards and I stuck them on the table. And um, some of the questions, just to give you a sense of what they're like. Um, here's one. Jesus teaches us to love our neighbor as ourself. Share the story of a time in your life when this was especially challenging. How did you respond? Or Christ taught us to forgive others as we have been forgiven. When in your life have you asked God or another person for forgiveness? Did you feel forgiven? Why or why not? You don't like that one. Um, how, <laughs> that's a big one. How would you describe your journey of faith? So after we settled into our, with our sandwiches and salad, I put the cards down and, um, and they all took a few cards and two of the group chose cards that asked essentially the same question. Tell of a time when you felt led by the Holy Spirit. Or I think another version of one was, when did you feel as if God was leading you on a particular path. And one of the two spoke of a time when someone she, she knew, with whom she had had a friendly but not particularly close acquaintance over several years, told her on the day, the day after her retirement, he, he told her that he had been diagnosed with ALS, that terrible degenerative muscular disease for which there is no cure. 
And he was a rather young man, an artist um, without a lot of money and no family in the area, that much she knew. And she found herself saying to him what any one of us might have said in that circumstance, if there's anything I can do, please let me know. And he called her a day or so later to say that he needed help with transportation because his treatment required him to spend one day every few weeks in all day treatments, in series of treatments at the hospital, and he, didn't, he couldn't drive. And she said, I'll help, uh, I'll, I'll help you. And so every, every few weeks for about six months, she drove this young man, whom she had known but not well, to his day long treatments and she stayed with him and became his advocate in the medical system and in the car rides there and back, they talked, and he began to open up a bit about his estrangement with his family. This wasn't how I was planning to spend my retirement, she said to the rest of us. But there she was. And there was never a doubt in her mind that she belonged right there. And finally, as his condition worsened, she gently told him that he needed to go home to his family. And she was there when he telephoned his estranged brother, who immediately drove across the country to pick him up and take him home. And she stayed in touch with him as best as she could. When he died a year or so later, she went to his funeral. Now she hadn't, she said, she hadn't thought about what had happened in that experience in explicitly religious terms. She wasn't that kind of a person, but looking back, she said she knew that the Holy Spirit had indeed led her, guided her to care for this dying young man. It was a deeply human encounter, of course, and a profoundly spiritual one. God needed her, she said. And in retrospect, she could see how God worked through her, which is an extraordinary thing to be able to say, you know? Now, another leader around the table told a much more church church-related story. He had been a member of his congregation for many years and served in a variety of leadership positions. And from his various positions, he had witnessed how a certain pattern play out in their congregation's life concerning a particular issue that was both difficult and contentious that managed to keep the congregation somewhat stuck. Because the issue would surface, they'd try to deal with it, Anxiety and conflict would surface all around it, and they'd all back away. The, leadership, the, the issue would go underground for a while. It would surface again. They'd try to deal with it. Conflict, anxiety, they'd all back away, and so forth. And one year, he had the very strong sense that he was the one, that if he were to assume lay leadership again as senior warden, that he actually could guide the congregation through the resolving of this issue to get to the other side. He said it was rough. It took about three years, and a lot of people were mad at me. But I knew, I, I knew we could do this. And now, he told us, the congregation was indeed on the other side and bearing fruit, the fruits of having worked through in community and resolving a difficult issue. And again, he's not the kind of guy who would speak in explicitly religious language, even about his service at church. But it was clear to him as he spoke that God had been leading him and that the Spirit had tapped him to do that particular work. 
And I share those stories with you because, as you might imagine, they encouraged all of us around the table to think back on such times in our lives when we knew what we needed to do and why, when we too felt, in fact, chosen for something, a particular task. And my reason for sharing it here, as you might imagine, is simply to encourage you to do the same, to think back on times when you have felt your life called, summoned, when a particular task or responsibilities was, in fact, yours. Now, often these are not easy, um, but we feel called to them. And at, once we do, what I notice is that we have a much higher tolerance for the discomfort and the challenge that results from our saying yes, because we know why we're there and what we're doing. And moreover, there's a power that often comes to us in those experiences. There's a strength that sustains us. And in that season, we can indeed, as we heard from scripture this morning, we can indeed run and not be weary. We can walk and not faint because God's strength is with us. Now, in the accounts, in the accounts of Jesus' life, there's a lively conversation going on within the texts about Jesus' own sense of purpose, of his calling to be who he was and to do what he was sent by God to do. And some of our texts, some of the gospel texts, are written from the conviction that from the beginning he knew exactly who he was and why he had come. And any revelation about that purpose was simply for other people's benefit. Other texts suggest that the internal realization of his vocation came to him more slowly, as it does for most of us, and that there were, in fact, particular moments when he had an epiphany, a revelation about his destiny writ large or about an immediate circumstance that was before him. And whatever side of the conversation a particular text is on or how we interpret it, there is no doubt that in the stories of Jesus' life there are these moments intended both to guide him personally or to encourage others to follow him, or both, and to encourage us as we look to him as a model of how to be fully human. So you may remember the story of his baptism, a familiar one. He joins the throngs of people at the, river, at the Jordan in order to be baptized by John. And as he was coming up from the water, you remember, he saw the dove, heard the voice, you are my beloved. And then that same lovely spirit drove him into the wilderness for 40 days and from which he emerges clear about his public ministry. So that was a big moment. And there's another big moment that you'll, you'll hear next week if you come into church. We read it every year at this time. And it's, it's a similar moment a little later on, actually a lot later on in his ministry when things are starting to come to a head. And to get clarity, he climbs a mountain um, brings a couple of, a of his friends with him, and on that mountain, he has a spiritual experience that is transformative. And he is in the presence of Moses and Elijah, those great giants of the faith. And when he comes down from the mountain, he is clear of his destiny. And then he begins his journey into Jerusalem. Today, we have this smaller glimpse 
of Jesus's emerging sense of clarity or his revelation of clarity, however you want to read it. And it, again, it's, this, is, this is from early on in his ministry. We're, we're still in the first chapter of that very busy Gospel of Mark. And after a flurry of activity, you know, he's healing in the village. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. He's casting out demons, whatever that means. And he gets up one morning, and he goes out to a deserted place to pray. And he's out there a long time, apparently, so long that his disciples begin to worry about him and begin to search. And when they find him, he emerges. And he emerges with a statement of clarity. Time to go, he basically says. On to the next town, so I can proclaim the message God has given to me there also. For that is what I came to do. And off he goes. It's a wonderful statement. That is what I came to do. Can you imagine walking into work this, next week? <laughs> this is what I came to do. <laughs> Coming home and sitting at the dinner table, this is what I came to do. What did Jesus come to do? To show us what the love of God looks like so we could fully receive it. How, he showed us how to live, how to love, how to draw closer to the God that he addressed in the most intimate of parental terms and encouraged us to do the same, to show us that even death cannot keep us from the love and the knowledge and the joy that God has in mind for us, that death does not have the final word. And he came to give us an example of what it looks like to be fully alive. And though fully aliveness includes every once in a while a stunning moment of clarity. It doesn't always have to be the writ large, big clarity. So often it's a small piece of clarity, enough to get us through a day or a task or a season. Um, and it's usually, not always, but usually in response to things that we would not have chosen for ourselves, but are presented to us. But as Viktor Frankl said so movingly of his own experiences in World War II, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. So as your bishop and as your friend and fellow disciple, I simply encourage you to spend time in the next day, the next week, remembering those times in your life when you have felt such a moment of clarity, and to think back on how it came to you. Did that clarity come in conversation with another as you were getting perspective on your own? Did it come in, in reading a text? Did it come to you in the midst of the, the clamor of community? How did God speak to you? And if no experience comes to mind, not to panic, I'm not so sure the, the two who spoke up that night would have immediately called to mind if I had asked the question so quickly. It took them time to hear and to remember. And I would ask you to simply reflect and then pay attention to how that prompting comes to you. And if you don't already, give yourself the gift of a bit of silence each day to allow the voice of God to speak to you. 
if you're sitting, to sit in silence. If you're driving in the car, to turn off the radio. If you are riding your bicycle, to refrain from the buds just for a little bit. And listen to the silence to see what God might say. I don't want to leave you with the impression that we'll always have complete clarity in this life. I don't. And I spend much of my life in that happy muddle of confusion, which is day-to-day existence. But when those clarity moments come, they go a long way in helping us sort things through and make decisions and to put ourselves in places of great potential. And I wish that for you. And I wish that for the world through you. Because when we make ourselves available to God in that way, it is astonishing what God does in and through people like you and me when we are open and available to claim those moments when they come. May it be so for all of us. In the name of God. Amen. Amen.